0: You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel.
1: The reading this evening comes from Joshua chapter 6 verses 1 through 20. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, When you hear the sound of the trumpet then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up everyone straight before him so joshua the son of nun called the priests and said to them take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the lord and he said to the people go forward march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the lord And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent." But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him and they captured the city. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let us pray. Lord God, we do trust you. Jesus, we do trust you, and we also pray would you help our unbelief We come before you, acknowledging that there are many things in our minds, acknowledging that there are many things in our hearts that can distract us from your word with your Holy Spirit. Would you bring our eyes and our hearts to Jesus? Would you bring our lives to rest? In Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Rivera, and I am one of two ah, ministry residents. Never mind. I am one of one ministry residents. I'm used to saying that I'm one of two. The Bee Kids, actually, we have their picture over there, so that we may be reminded to pray for them. They are in Central Asia. And now, uh, as I've mentioned, now we are in the process of planting a Spanish-speaking church in town. So if you speak Spanish and you wanna join us, please come talk to me. Or if you know any other Spanish speakers that are looking for a church, please uh, get them in contact with us. We would love to share with them where are the plans and hopefully they can come with us, God willing. I've been learning a lot. Through this process of preaching, uh, now three weeks in a row and one week left next week, I've learned in I've grown to love pastoral ministry and respect pastoral ministry more and more. And also, I wanted to thank you for your generosity, because it is because of your generosity that I am being able to be freed up to dig in God's word and then bring God's word to you. So so I wanted to thank you and also encourage you to keep on being faithful in your giving. Thank you, Christ Church, for your generosity. So last week, I brought two pictures, and today, as I was putting my, my points in the computer, I realized that there are two images that Pastor Nathan left there from chapter two, and they're uh, very useful because this is Jericho. It is crazy to think that archeologists have found the very place where the, uh, the events that we see in this text had happened. And they have attested that the very events that the Bible describes had happened. We have also another picture, and through their discoveries they, they've seen that, yes, not, maybe not all the wall has fallen, but yes, pieces of the wall did fall, making it easy for the people of Israel then to come in to Jericho. We are now in the, bu- in, in the book of Joshua, and we've realized that there is a bigger reality than the one we are usually conscious of that God has chosen ordinary means to lead us to an extraordinary grace. And sometimes we feel like like there is a gap between those two. How can an ordinary mean can lead me to an extraordinary grace? And sometimes it is hard for us to see that what God gives us in his word or by his word actually applies to our reality. Last week we saw it in chapter five, and now in chapter six we're gonna see it again. And I was reminded about this as I was talking to a friend this week, uh, he is a Christian also, and he was sharing with me that this week they realized that the property where him and his siblings are building their houses is not actually their parents, but actually is their their aunts. And now she's asking for money, a couple of thousands of dollars actually, uh, or else she's going to demolish the, the houses because the houses are in her property. Uh, of course, the story is longer than that, and, and there's family history in that, and my conversation with him was longer than that. But as I was listening to him, I was thinking, how can I, with the word of God, encourage him in this situation that it is pretty pressing for him and his family? He may lose his house this week, right? And I'm thinking, how can I encourage him? So. Uh, I wanted to remind him that God is in control, that God is sovereign over all, that God loves him, that God is looking the good for his life, and that got that he can trust God, that He is good. But if if I have to be honest, for a second I was thinking, uh, does he think that that I'm stupid? Maybe uh, I mean he's about to lose his house, and then here I come with uh, magical words, maybe or a prayer, and. Hope, hoping that this will change something. And um, I was, was wanting for him to see that what I was sharing with him is true, that God is in control, that in the midst of all, of all this situation, although his pressing need may close his eyes or may blur his eyes to see the reality, actually God is working all the things for his good. And of course the conversation was longer than trust God, let me pray for you. But still, as I was talking to him, I was just hoping that he could see that this is true for his life, that prayer does change us, that God is really in control. As we are in chapter six of Joshua, once again the people of Israel will have to trust God, will have to trust his words and they will have to choose to walk in obedience by faith. And sometimes the strategies of God may not seem to match our reality, but now the people of Israel will have to trust that God knows what He is asking of them. So as we go through the story, I, my aim today is that we can, may, may be able to, to see that we can walk by faith in obedience because God has won the victory that we can walk by faith in obedience because God has won the victory. So I've divided the passage in three, three sections. The strategy from battle from verses one to seven, the battle from verses eight to 21, and the rescue from justice from verses 22 to 27. And we're gonna see, again, a call to obedience by faith, trusting that God has already, uh, he has already the victory, all right. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, you can chew, you, you can check in, in verse one that we begin with a pressing situation, with a very significant uh, obstacle for the people of Israel, and this is that Jericho was shut up inside and outside, and none none went out and none came. Now, this is no good news for the people of Israel because humanly speaking, they have already many things to worry about. They have been coming out of the desert, so they are not very well trained in battle. Actually, the last couple of days, they have been recovering from circumcision, and uh, they may not be very equipped with weapons and and swords, and now they have a disadvantage by being in a lower position than than their enemies. Definitely Jericho has more opportunities to attack from the wall than the Israelites from the ground. Jericho chose a very common strategy that cities with walls would choose. Jericho knew that Israel was coming, so most likely they got ready with water and food and other resources to stay shut maybe for months before they need to come out. So no good news for Israel, but God says in verse two, I have given you Jericho, I have given Jericho into your hands. And it doesn't seem like it, but it is true. And they have to trust it. So in this inconvenient circumstance, here is where we ought to hear what is the best strategy for these battles. So in verses three to five, we see what's the strategy for for battle. And in summary, we see that God is asking them to march around the city once for six days once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, the priest will make a long trumpet blast, all the people are going to shout, and the walls are gonna fall flat, and then the people of Israel are, are, are gonna come in. And this is the strategy to fight the people of Israel. I'm not sure what Napoleon and George Washington thought about this battle strategy, but I didn't see them trying. What I mean by this is that as we are reading this, it is obvious that this is not a great strategy for battle. It, it almost seems like this is more like a ceremony. In verse four, we, we see that we have priests bearing trump, trumpets. We see the Ark of the Covenant also. We also see the repetition of number seven, seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, seven times on the seventh day, and even we, we see shouting as a command for the people of, of Israel. These elements are, are used in other ceremonies and celebrations that the people of Israel keeps. Actually, a scholar has suggested that these patterns of sevens and the trumpet sound may be connected with the celebration of the Jubilee. The Jubilee was celebrated every 50 years. And one of the things that God has asked to the people of Israel was to give back their land to the original owner, to give back the land they, they possess now to the original owner. And in Leviticus 25, eight, we, we read that God says, you shall count seven weeks of years meaning seven times seven years, and that will give you 49 years, and then you shall, you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day on the seventh month. Do you see the connection with Joshua 6? We do not only have the patterns of sevens, but we also have the possession of the land by the very true owners of the land, plus we have the sounding of the trumpet All these things are kind of showing us that God is requesting more like a ceremony than a strategy for battle. Even the word shout, although it can mean a shout of war, it is used in the Psalms to mean a joyful shout, a joyful noise, like a noise or a shout of celebration. Odd requests from God for the people of Israel when they are about to face Jericho. But God has said, I have given you Jericho, so walk around the city once every six, for, for six days and on the seventh day, once you hear the trumpet sound, you're gonna shout and the walls are going to fall. So they have to trust that God knows what he's asking for them and that He is in control of all this. Have you feel, have you feel the same Often, like there's a pressing need in your life. There's a situation that requires your action. You need to do something. And then maybe you come to church or you talk to friends and, and you hear things like trusting God or let's pray or don't worry, bring your, your, your doubts to, to the Lord. And it seems like this strategy does not fit exactly with your reality. It seems like there's, there's something that you need to do more than, than just trusting in God. And of course, you wanna be wise and diligent with the things that you wanna do, but it seems like worrying makes more than not worrying. <laughs> then, then trusting in you makes more than trusting in God. Going back to my conversation with my friend, I was wondering, would he see that what I'm telling him is true, that, that God, does, he is in control, and maybe things that he already knew, maybe my friend already, he knew that. I was not telling him any news. But would he trust in that? Present situations that we often face, that when we come to the word of God, it seems like what God is giving us through his word does not match our reality. What do you mean by not worry about anything, but pray about, about everything? Not worry about anything, but pray about everything in supplication and thanksgiving. That's what uh, Philippians 4 says, in supplication and thanksgiving, thanksgiving thanksgiving. in the midst of all of this. How does that change my circumstances? How does praying change my situation right now? Well, what if I tell you that, that prayer may not necessarily change your situation or your circumstance, but it will change you? It seems like what God gives us in his word as a strategy for battle is less than a strategy for battle and more like a ceremony of worship. In times of battle, what he wants from us is to be a living sacrifice for him, for his glory. It doesn't sound like a great strategy, but it does sound like a great ceremony of worship. And God desires that from us, that we may worship him in the midst of all circumstances. Because this is the reality that we have been created for. We have been created to worship him. When we get to the end of ourselves, and we start living and trusting in Jesus, that is the reality that God has created us for. When we trust his word, that is the reality that God has created us for and this is why his words do apply to our reality. Think about the story of the Bible. Since the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve. They are created in the image of God to reflect him, to know him, to enjoy him, to worship him, to trust his words. He said, don't eat from the fruit of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They needed to trust his words, although their sight was telling them something different. It looked good in in the eyes of Eve. But she needed to trust God, and she didn't. But God didn't give up on his plans for humanity, so he promised Abraham that he will give him a land where he was going to be in the midst of them, a land in, in and in a people, a nation, to be a blessing for all nations, so that they may reflect him, know him, enjoy him, worship him, and trust him, trust his words, But as we see the story of the people of Israel, as they are now in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years, they did not trust the words of the Lord. They did not keep the words of the Lord. But God didn't give up. And he rose a second generation and he brought them into the promised land so that they may know him, trust him, trust his words. And so far, they are doing it. We see in chapter five, they did it. Chapter four, they did it. Chapter six, they are doing it. And now us in Christ, we are called also to reflect him, to worship him, to know him, and also to trust his words. This is the whole story of the Bible. Welcome to the story of the Bible, where trusting in, in God's word is as old as humanity. And also, welcome to the story of the Bible, where rejecting the words of God is also as old as humanity. But His grace and His faithfulness is older than humanity. And His faithfulness is going to stay for everlasting, and everlasting time. Before creation, for eternity, he has been faithful and we can trust in his, in his words because we know that he doesn't change. We know we can trust him because we know he knows us better because we know that he knows our reality better than we do. So today, as we abide in him, as we abide in Christ, we can walk in obedience, trusting in God because we know by experience that we cannot trust ourselves Although people change, although situations changes, although our reality changes, God never changes. We can trust him. We can trust his words. We can trust that his words apply to our reality. And from verses eight to 21, we see that. We see that the people of Israel did follow the words of the Lord. From verses eight to 14, we see that they keep what God has told them to do in days one to six, and from verses 15 to 21, we see that the people of Israel have kept what God has told them to do in, in the day of the battle, in the seventh day. Actually, if you see in verse eight, the ESV starts with, and just as Joshua had commanded, and Joshua commanded what the Lord commanded, and they kept the priests and the armed men, they obeyed the Lord, the priests, holding trumpets in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and then the armed men before the Ark of the Covenant and after the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God was in the midst of the people of Israel. He was in the center of it, the Ark of the Covenant. The trumpets blew continually, but Joshua commanded the people to not shout or make their voice heard. In verse 11, we hear that Joshua says, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. We see a communal aspect of obedience. All needed to obey in order to obtain the victory. And the opposite is true. If one was disobedient, then they would not enjoy the victory. We're gonna talk a little bit more about obedience and the implications and disobedience and the implications not only for your life, but for the, for the ones who are around you next week. So as we see that the people obeyed, they did so in the first day, we see that, and they did so in the second day, and then verse 14, we read that they did so for six days. They did obey the Lord. So finally in verse 15, we get to the day of war. And we read, on the seventh day they arose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day, on the seventh day, that they marched around the city seven times. The author making sure that we know that they have kept the words of the Lord and they did go around the city seven times, only on the seventh day. Verse 16 says that on that seventh time when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Silence is ro- broken after six days. The trumpets make the long call. The people shout, well, they are about to shout. And what's the next thing that we're expecting to happen? Well, God has promised that the walls are gonna fall, but as we read in verse 17, if you have your Bible, you can look. In verse 17, And then we look at verse 18 and 19, we realize that the walls are not down yet. It's until verse 20 that the walls fall. Verses 17, 18, and 19 are like an extended climax that the author is using to bring important information between shout and the walls falling. Joshua in verses 17, 18, and 19 emphasizes again obedience and faith. We're told that Joshua kept his word with Rahab because she trusted in the Lord, because of her faith. He was shown her, her faith. And also we see in verses 18 and 19 that Joshua is asking obedience to his people by not taking any profit of the war. We read in verse 19 that they should not take silver, gold, or every vessel of bronze and iron. They are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. It was normal for the soldiers, after they have won a battle, to take the profit of the war. But Israel was going to fight a battle that was already won. Jericho was defeated already long before the walls fell down. Because God was the one fighting for them. And because God has conquered. Jericho, he deserved all the profit of the war. And the people of Israel needed to to understand that. They needed to, that needed to be settled in their hearts, that it was not their fight, it was not their victory. God had already defeated them even before Israel fought. The profit of the war is for the Lord because he fought and he won. And this is a reminder that Joshua did not fight the battle of Jericho. I'm sorry kiddos, I know there's a popular song out there that says that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. But let me give you a better line. God fought the battle of Jericho. Still rhymes. God fought the battle of Jericho. You see, you just put, not Joshua, but God there. Still works. You're welcome, okay? So finally, after this extended climax where we see that God is conqueror, that he is victorious, we read in verse 20, we read, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the walls fell down flat so the, the people went up into the city, every man strayed before him and they captured the city. Every time people in the Bible have trusted God, every time they do it, they have tested that God is faithful, that he keeps his words and they can prove it. Hebrews 11.30 says that by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Israel put their faith in God, in the words of God, and the walls fell down. I want to make sure that we understand how, what a healthy faith looks like. Healthy faith does not put its trust in a good desire or something good, a good wish, but healthy faith puts its trust in the words of God. Israel did not put its trust in a good desire for the walls to fall. Israel put their trust In God, in that God said that the walls were going to fall, and they did. Going back to the conversation with my friend, I didn't encourage him to have faith that he was going to still have his house or that. I didn't encourage him to have faith in that he will have the money to pay his aunt. I didn't encourage him to have faith that everything was going to be okay and nothing was going to happen. I didn't encourage him to have faith in those things because the Bible does not give us assurance of any of those things. What I did is encourage him to trust that although circumstances are hard, God is still with him that God said that he was going to be his provider, that God said that he was going to be his refuge, that God said that was going to be his God. Those things the Bible tells us that we can trust on, those are the words of God. God is his sustainer. God can be his refuge. His heart and his mind can be kept in Christ Jesus when he comes in prayer, in supplication, and thanksgiving. He can trust in the word of God. And every time that we do, we see that it is true. The defeat of Jericho is not an example that God will defeat our enemies. The defeat of of Jericho is an example that God has defeated his enemies, not ours, his enemies. And that in him, when we put our trust in him, we can also find victory. Ephesians 6 tells us that in Christ our enemies are not flesh and blood, but spiritual realm. In James 3, we're reminded that in Christ our enemies are the flesh and the world. Jesus reminds us that he has authority over heaven and earth, that he has defeated his enemies, and that he's putting his enemies under his feet. So we can trust that we can have victory over sin, flesh, the world, and Satan, because Jesus has already defeated them, he has already victory over his enemies. A couple years ago, a well-intended sister, as I was waiting on a response of a, from immigration as I applied for, for a visa, she encouraged me to have faith that God was going to give me that visa, that God was going to say yes to that visa although it can be easy to put my faith and trust that yes god is going to give me the visa because i am working for him or i am working for the church the visa that i that i applied for is called a religious visa so i was like of course god is going to say yes right i'm working for him well (laughs) as i go to scriptures i cannot have assurance of that why because the bible doesn't tell me so But what I can have assurance of is that he has promised to be my sustainer, my provider, my refuge, my God. And that no matter what, here in the US or in Ecuador or wherever in the world, he is gonna be that for me. And I can have trust and assurance of that because that is the word of God. This is why I think we can be discouraged often. Because we have misplaced the battles of God and we want him to fight our battles. And also we have been misplaced in our faith, trusting in our good desires and not in his word. This is a call to trust him and take God at his word. This is an encouragement to go to his word and walk by faith if he has said that he has conquered over over sin and flesh, if he has conquered, and we're more than conquerors over our temptations because of his strength, then we can trust him. And every time that we trust and put our faith in his words, we test that it is true. In verses 21, we read, some hard words for, for us in, in the 21st century. We read that they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Let me dedicate a couple of minutes to, to give you a helpful, helpful framework for this conversation. Uh, Because of the nature of of this gathering, I cannot engage fully in the whole conversation, but if you have more questions, I would love to meet with you, have coffee, lunch, or I'll be standing right here. I would love love to talk to you if you have more questions about this. I think these verses can be disturbing for us because we may have the tendency to think that the innocent people of Canaan were having a peaceful life not even knowing about the Israelites, not even knowing about the God of the Israelites, and all of a sudden, these Israelites come and attack them with no notice, seemingly with no reason, just for a piece of land, and they kill them all. That is not the story that we're seeing in the scriptures. Long before, 500 years ago, God promised to Abraham saying that they were going to have the land in the fourth generation. Why in the fourth generation after Abraham? For the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. In Deuteronomy 9.5 we read God telling, speaking to the people of Israel, not because of your righteousness or your uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land? But because of their wickedness the wickedness of these nations, that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So these aren't innocent people. They have grown in their rebellion and their sinfulness. God instruct, in instructing in Israel for the possession of the land. He warns them to not practice the type of worship that they practice. And what were some of these this practices in Deuteronomy 12? 31, we read, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done to their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Leviticus eighteen twenty-one. you shall not give any of your children to offer to Moloch and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So no innocent people, they were not innocent at all. With Rahab, we also learned that they knew about Yahweh. She said the name of the Lord. When she she was referring to God, she was referring to him by his name. They knew the name of the Lord. In chapter two we saw that. They knew that Yahweh had opened the Red Sea and they knew that Yahweh had opened the Jordan River. But they did not come in repentance. Rahab did, they continued in their rebellion. So they are not innocent and they did know about Israel and they did know about the God of Israel. As one commentator puts it, the conquest is not gross injustice, but is the highest, most patient justice. The highest, most patient justice. 500 years of patience and the most highest justice. Not injustice. Justice that, ha- that, that does not have a double standard. This is not the justice that God had to Canaan. Leviticus 18, 21, God says to the people of Israel, for ev- everyone who does any of these abominations shall be cut from the people. Including Israel. Including them. They had the same standard. God had the same standard over the people of Israel. And next chapter is gonna show us that a family from the people of Israel are going to be put to death because they have trespassed the covenant of the Lord. So this is not ethnic cleansing. This is divine justice, divine justice for sin. But I think one of the most helpful portions of scripture that has helped me to deal with these thoughts has been to think about the gospel, to look at the cross. Because as I look at the cross, I see the same thing, that God does not have a double standard. Jesus is put to death in behalf of the guilty. Why? Because sin is offensive to the holiness of God. Sin is offensive to God. It's clear rebellion against the Creator. And the consequence was clear since the beginning. God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. It was clear since the beginning, not double standard. And God is even willing to put his son to death, to the highest justice. And he did so. Jesus gave his life in our behalf. So here is where a hard reality as we read these verses can become a harder reality as we can see that we also should have been subject to justice. Because we were not different than the Canaanites. We lived worshiping other idols. In the past, we worshiped the idol of self, the idol of comfort, the idol of money, willing to sacrifice our time, willing to sacrifice our energy, willing to sacrifice our will, even willing to sacrifice our family to get the things that we wanted. But God, who is rich in mercy, with the great love that he loved us, did not close his eyes to our sinfulness. He did not put away his justice, but he brought it to completion in Jesus. And by grace, through faith in Christ, we were rescued from justice. Verse 25 we read, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive and she has lived in Israel to these days because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab was saved from justice. He was rescued from the justice of the Lord by faith. And as Rahab, we don't have a great past, but we can enjoy of a great future by faith. We can enjoy a great present and future by the obedience of the perfect Israelite Rahab received the benefits of something that she didn't fight for. We received the benefits of something that we didn't fight for. She is now part of the people of Israel by faith in God. We are also part of the people of God by faith in God. By faith, we were saved from the justice of God. By faith, we were brought into the, into the promised land. And by faith, we walk also in obedience as we conquer the land. All by faith. Faith that does not come alone. Rahab showed her faith by hidden the spies. Rahab walked in faith by bringing her family into her house, knowing that the Israelites were going to, to win the battle because of their God. So faith never comes alone. This is why we can be called by faith to obedience. Knowing that the holiness, that the holiness has is already ours, that God has given us holiness already in Jesus. We can aim and have and walk in holiness because Jesus is already ours. He has conquered and defeated our enemies. He has authority over heaven and earth. 2 Peter 1.3 says that we have all that we need for life and godliness. We have it already, already. All that we need for life and godliness. Ephesians 1.3 says that we have all the spiritual blessings. No more spiritual blessings for us. We have them all. And yet, although we have those things already, we have to fight. Although the enemy is already defeated, we are called... To fight in faith. We have to fight for sanctification. We have to fight to be like Christ. We have to fight to obtain the battle over our, our temptations. We fight by faith, by faith in the words of God that He has said that it is finished, that He is leading us to our victory a victory over our flesh, that he's leading us already to our victory over our temptation, over the temptations of the world and the darts of the devil. And when that day finally arrives, when Jesus comes in his glory, in in all his glory, when that day comes, finally, all his enemies are going to be put under his feet, and we will enjoy fully him. We will enjoy fully our faith. But you, my friend, maybe you are here and you are not a Christian. As Christians, we're looking forward for that day when Jesus comes to put all his enemies under his feet. But if, if you are not part of his people, that means that you are also his enemy. Jesus will, will come with a sword to bring not gross injust, injustice, but the highest, most patient justice. And he has been patient with us. And he has been patient with you. And in his love and mercy, has brought you here today to hear the gospel. That if if you put your faith in Christ, if you come in repentance to him, if you believe in him today, if you trust God at his word, then you can become also part of his people, would you do it today? Would you come in faith to Christ today? If you want to know more about him, and and, and if you want to know more about how can you give your life to Christ, I'll be standing right here. I would love to talk to you about Jesus. For the rest of us, let us be encouraged that we can trust God's word, and by faith we can walk in obedience because he has promised that the victory over sin, flesh, and Satan is already over. Let us pray. Lord God, we come before you acknowledging that we do feel that there's a gap sometimes between the reality that we see with our eyes and the reality that we don't see. We come before you acknowledging that our faith is weak and yet you have called us to put our weak faith in a strong Savior because it is not our faith that saves us. It is not our faith that leads us to victory. It is Jesus who leads us to victory. It is Jesus who leads us to salvation and even with our weak faith We can come to you today. And as long as we put the faith in the right place, we know that your work is going to be done in us. Would you help our unbelief through the week that we may see your word and that your Holy Spirit may lead us to trust you and obey you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.